the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height. I am stepping in today to fill in for Mr. Ed Martin. In fact, we've had uh, some different fill-ins here. Obviously, it's been the uh, week between the holidays, uh, Christmas to New Year's. I hope that you had a wonderful Christmas. I haven't, I haven't spoken to everyone here uh, since Christmas time, so I hope that you had a very Merry Christmas. I hope that you were able to take uh, Ed's message about Christmas to heart, that it was a good time of uh, re, uh, relaxing, rejuvenation, uh, and also focusing, centering ourselves uh, on the real reason uh, for Christmas time keeping our faith focused during this season uh, and not getting distracted from that, even as the distraction of politics and culture is just crazy and continues to march on whether we care or not. But uh, this week, uh, we have been taking a little bit of a break. I'm sure you've noticed we've had some great uh, best ofs from some of our good guests this year. A lot of the topics we have covered, the things that are incredibly important that have been worthwhile. We've been marching through some of those as we have a little bit of our year in review. And I hope that you've enjoyed them. I hope it's been helpful and a good reminder of some of the places we've gone, the topics we've covered, the things that we have discussed uh, and taken ownership of as Americans, these issues that matter to all of us, even if they have not yet touched our own lives uh, as citizens. They are all important to all of us, but um, that has been a good time. Here, before we go on, I wanted to hop on and make sure that I delivered a little bit of a New Year's uh, message, something I was thinking about, something I think matters to all of us here. Uh, I wanted to make sure I, I uh, though, uh, gave that. Before I do, let me remind you, go to ProAmericaReport.com. Uh, head over there, you'll find Ed's Substack. You'll want to subscribe to the email. you get notifications about when those new articles come out. You can also head over to PhyllisSchlafly.com. That's our day job, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. There, you will be able to sign up for the wink email comes into your inbox every single weekday morning uh, we have had a little bit of an alternated schedule through the holidays but we will be back at it in january uh once again with that wink email every wednesday mo- or every wednesday every weekday morning straight to your inbox super short super helpful tells you a few things you need to know about your day and also gives you a few key stories uh, in addition to the wink the what you need to know named after this first segment here uh but uh, that's that let's get down to business we've got another uh a couple of great interviews today uh, that we're going to play, uh, and it is going to be a good time, something incredibly important. And then again, tomorrow, we've got a doubleheader interview with Jeff Clark, uh, the former, as we say, the two-time assistant attorney general uh, for the DOJ in the Trump administration. He has some incredible stories to tell, and he is one of the primary folks being 
pursued and persecuted by the Department of Justice now alongside Donald Trump and his allies. He is someone who uh, fought back against the system and the system is fighting back against him. Uh, So that's going to be another good one. But I, I wanted to take a moment and pause as we reflect on this uh, shift from 2023 into 2024. As we look upon this new year, I know that it's a great time uh, for all of us to reflect what we did and what we could have done better and then choose uh, how to resolve uh, in our minds and in our hearts that we will do these things better uh, the next year. This is something we always think about in everyone's New Year's resolutions. It usually revolves around health or finance or personal betterment and development. Uh, and I tell you what, as a nation, I think that America has some serious uh, resolving to be done, not just personal betterment and not just for moving uh, a different direction, but for having a very significant change, having a very hard check on where we are as a nation, what we have allowed to creep into our culture and into our government and to make some really serious changes. And, and here's what I mean. What, what I think this is, and th- th- this is really the what you need to know. Maybe we should let our 17, uh, or let me say it this way, pardon me. We should have our 2024 be our 1774. Let's make that happen. Should we? 2024, let's make that our 1774. And let me explain what I mean by that. December of 1773, the Boston Tea Party, uh, one of the hallmark moments to us in our history books of the American Revolution, the War for Independence, uh, one of the earliest stages uh, that really kind of kicked off. Obviously, there had been several things happening, a lot of the um, the Stamp Act and different things. Congress, or I should say Congress at that time, uh, the colonies asking for a reprieve from some of the really harsh treatment uh, and neglect going uh, on from from British Parliament, asking the king to intervene on their behalf, the king not responding. This had been going on for some time. uh, And then that hallmark moment crossing from 1773 to 1774, uh, the anger over treatment of the colonies and its people, uh, the lack of dignity and respect and rights as British civilians, Uh, British citizens uh, given or rather not given to the colonists, the ignoring that Parliament was doing uh, toward the colonies and the trampling of the local governance that had been set up here and and had been going along just fine. These things all culminated in this spirit that that bubbled up and began to boil over one of those moments, one of those flashpoints, the Boston Tea Party in 1773, uh, which, you know, doesn't look very uh, hectic or chaotic or even that violent compared to some of the protests of today when you go back and watch these uh, calm colonists dressed up as Indians uh, taking apart the crates of tea, throwing them into Boston Harbor, and then cleaning up the ship before they left. It's <laughs> how, my how far we've come. But that spirit was boiling up and bubbling over at different flashpoints. And then in 1774, uh, it began to form into organized action. The Continental Congress came about in 1774. That ran all the way to 1789 until the beginning of the new government, until the Constitution took effect uh, and our uh, Congress and our branches of government as they are now uh, were instituted. But that, that, that was a very pivotal moment moving from the spirit boiling over in 1773 
1773 uh, into the organized uh, beginnings of 1774. And then you know the rest of the story. It takes off 1775 and 76. The Continental Army is raised. The Declaration of Independence is signed. This this path that we were set on really found its legs from 1773 into 1774, at least in a certain manner of speaking. There's a big timeline to consider, and I'm certainly condensing. But I think that if we look at where we are now, there is a very similar moment where the spirit of retaking America, making it what it once was, returning us to our founding principles. That kind of thing is sorely needed. And the cries from uh, the, the cries from her people, the cries from our citizens, from the working Americans, uh, things that are represented in songs. I'll, uh, we talked in the Phyllis Schlafly column, the, the report column, uh, John and Andy Schlafly wrote, uh, Conservatives of the Year. There were a couple of interesting mentions. One of them, uh, Oliver Anthony, the musician, he doesn't claim to be a, a conservative, I don't believe, but... His song, Rich Men North of Richmond, is, is just a, a, it is an incredible moment in time, a crying out of the working family who is trying to get by and is being crushed by the elites who care only for their own wealth and power and accumulation. This moment that we're in is boiling over. It is bubbling over the spirit, this burgeoning of of wanting freedom again, of wanting liberty and rights to be recognized again, of removing this woke agenda and censorship that tramples before it everything else except for bowing to its own agenda. These things, the reaction to them is boiling over all across the country. It really, it has been uh, for a couple of years now. I think we started to see that in the school board meetings of Virginia. Uh, that led to an interesting election there, Glenn Youngkin coming in. And, and we saw a lot more interesting things. 2022, uh, we have seen so much this year, 2023. May this moving over into 2024, moving over into the new year. May it be for us not just a time of resolving uh, hopes. We hope to do this better. I hope that this changes. I want this personally. I want to see that. Let it be action. Let us take organization. Let this be the year that people who resonate with those songs like Rich Men North of Richmond, let this be the year that those of us who resonate with it form ourselves into grassroots action. Let us find where we can make a difference and march forward into that. Let's make politicians listen again. Let's make bureaucrats be accountable again. Uh, and in fact, let's fire a few of them along the way. There's too many as, as it is. Uh, and a few of the departments, too. We can just close those down. You know, save the budget. Let's uh, make our state officials stand up for their citizens again, even if it's against the federal government and their own interests as far as federal money's coming back down. Let's make this spirit of yearning for liberty and rights to be recognized, yearning to fight against this authoritarian woke agenda that silences everything in its path. Let us turn 2024 into the year of organization, just as we saw in 1774. Let that be this year. We must make it our resolve to take action. And just as the Continental Congress rose, may the American people rise again and take back our country for the things that it makes sense, for the things that promote liberty and freedom and the rights of all men and the rights of all Americans to live 
freely and peacefully together in society, not trample each other under authoritarianism and censorship. May it be so. Let's make 2024 our 1774. Will you join me with that? There's my resolution. Uh, Let's make that together. And we will move forward. Come on back after the break here. I'm going to cut this off and then we'll come back at the end of the show and wrap it up. Thank you for being with us again. Go to ProAmericaReport.com and PhyllisSchlafly.com. Find all the links, resources and podcasts and standalones. And come on back after the break for a lot more of our great guests from 2023. Thank you for being here. And we will talk to you in just a moment here on the Pro-America Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report again. I'm continuing these conversations we've been having about due process. You've heard me talk a lot about it. I was gratified that uh, when the the stupid Colorado Supreme Court decision, I mean, the decision's stupid. I don't like to say courts are stupid, but they might be. But the stupid decision of the Colorado Supreme Court, there was a dissent from one of the justices. And uh, he wrote about how there was a problem with this whole thing, this whole action uh, taking away, tr- taking Trump off the ballot. And he said all the way back to the, the 1776, he was quoting George Mason. He said, you know, we have due process. You know, we have two and a half centuries later, we're supposed to have we're due process. What, what's happening here when we can have uh, just four judges on the Colorado Supreme Court decide something? There's never been a, a, a anyway, you get the point. So our next guest is uh, uh, Jeff Clark. Jeff Clark is a long time, long practicing attorney who served in the Bush W, the uh, W Bush administration at senior levels under uh, President Trump at senior levels of the Department of Justice, practice laws, law at the highest levels and uh, has a real sense of this for lots of reasons before himself uh, being put through this. So welcome back, Jeff. How are you? Good. Well, Ed, uh, thanks for having me on. So you're welcome, Jeff. um, Due process. One of, you know, the famous, the late Judge Friendly wrote an an article about uh, uh, due process, an essay that's often cited. I think it was actually a speech. Uh, But but the first of the list on Judge Friendly's characteristics of due process is a tribunal, an impartial tribunal. So, Jeff, um, what happens when, you know, you've been you've been in cases where you're the attorney and you have a, a tough case. It's not good facts or law for you. You're, you're uphill, but you're fighting for it. And the, and the judge and the and the and the and the participants, there's a certain a certain quality of American legal work, the legal system that has this sense that even if you're you know, you're going to have preferences on human beings, prosecutors or judges, but the system is going to be uh, deliver an impartial tribunal that feels far away way right now from where we are? Well, I think it is. And this decision out of the Colorado Supreme Court, which you mentioned, is an exemplar of that because, you know, you have seven Democrat appointed judges. They split even so by the narrowest of of margins. Two of the dissenting judges focused on state law issues. And so, you know, they lost and the majority uh, for justice majority spoke on the issues of state law. They speak with finality on those issues. Right. So right. Uh, if when the case goes to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court's not going to say anything about those issues. So you really just you're down to kind of one dissenter who's focused on uh, the federal issues and on the denial of, of due process in that uh, case, which we should get into. Um, but, you know, you, you're. You're dealing with, you know, folks who just like a hot knife through butter, just drove through all of the substantive arguments that President Trump's lawyers presented 
and all of the uh, procedural arguments. And, you know, it is uh, something that makes a mockery of, of due process. And I can unpack that for you if, if you'd like. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I, I do think so. Because again, but again, uh, yes, I do, because I, I want you to take it the direction you want. What I'm looking at Judge Friendly's list of elements. And by the way, his his essay, which was uh, so uh, f- famous, is called Some Kind of Hearing. Uh, and he was referring to uh, what it means to be a judge in due process. But um, the very first one, unbiased tribunal, that's the first element of, of, of due process for him. Uh, but, yeah, unpack it for me in the sense what you're saying is it rolled over. Um, they rolled over everything in a way that is. But, yeah, go the direction you were going, please. Sure. Sure. So, so look, here's the first thing to, to understand under election law, there needed to be a very hurry up process, you know, completed in a matter of days. And the reason why it was set up as a process within a matter of days is because first of all, oftentimes if you have election processes, right, like people don't want to sit around waiting forever, you know, taking litigation can ordinarily take years, right. Especially complex litigation, you know, litigating who won an election for years, right. You kind of got to get to the answer one way or another uh, pretty quickly. So uh, the, the, they couldn't really have a trial about this issue of whether President Trump engaged in an insurrection or gave aid and comfort to same. Uh, so they needed to come up with some kind of solution. So the lawyers on the left who brought this case from this, uh, you know, uh, leftist pressure group, they found ostensible Republicans to be the plaintiffs. Uh, but, you know, we there are a lot of Republicans floating around who really just carry that name. They're not actually like that. So they're the they're the token plaintiffs. And they they uh, concocted a sort of makeshift process uh, that hadn't been used before of here's what we'll do. Here's how we can kind of fit this within the time constraints. We'll have a trial where uh, in quotation marks, imagine me like doing air quotes uh, right. in which we just take the off the shelf January 6th committee report. We introduce that as a government report. Right. We bring in the chief investigative counsel for that, uh, you know, committee. We have him testify that the report is reliable and we have him testify that there was no bias. And you started with the first friendly element of an unbiased tribunal that the, you know, the January 6th committee, which is as biased as anyone can imagine, was unbiased. Right. Right. I, I earlier this week referred to that as test alliance because <laughs> right. there's no way you could say with a straight face, uh, unless you're a partisan Democrat that that process was unbiased. It provided, you know, and here's another element of of, uh, due process, right? No cross-examination for any of the targets by the January 6th committee. There was also no true minority party representation on the committee, which is sort of call it congressional due process, because Nancy Pelosi said, I'm not appointing the people Kevin McCarthy wanted, especially, you know, Jim Banks and, and Jim Jordan. And so uh, you got there since you didn't have any uh, minority members, you also got uh, only a, a fake and Airzox uh, minority council. This guy John Wood, uh, who actually ties by marriage, you know, back to the Cheney family. Uh, he's like Cheney's council. Cheney's the token uh, Republican with a brain, right? Because I don't put Adam Kinzinger in that category, right? And you know the 
They never have uh, the opposing, you know, the supposed opposing Republican lawyer. He never answers, asks uh, uh, opposing questions, right, to test what the Democrats are doing. He's just along, you know, doing exactly the same thing the Democrats counsel is doing. So it was a it was a total mockery of a process. And now then you just ship it over to uh, to the Colorado state state court trial court. And the trial court judge is like, yeah, this is good. This is reliable. The, the Colorado Supreme Court majority ultimately says, yeah, it's a government report and you can have government reports relied on. And yes, you can. But there's a Supreme Court test in a case called Beach Aircraft, Ed, which provides a set of factors as to when you can get around the hearsay rule by just bringing in a government report. Right. Um, and you know, one of the elements is also that, uh, you know, it's all, all sort of of a piece. One of the elements is that it be something that is unbiased, right? And so, right, right. You know, as, as I was explaining to people, look, if you have, you know, an FCC report about the nature of a telecom license, or you have uh, a surface, uh, you have a, um, I'm sorry, uh, you know, NTSB, National Transportation Safety Board, right. report about the origin of a of a plane uh, crash. Yeah, right, right. right. There, there, like, there's no, you know, it's possible, right? And if you could show this, right, under the beach test, you couldn't bring in the report. Like, so for instance, you know, if everybody on the uh, NTSB were captured by Boeing or something like that, right, then you can't bring the report in because it's inherently biased. But most of the time, right, you're just, they don't have any equities in in who wins or loses about tort litigation, you know, uh, for, for private damages. If the survivors in the plane crash sue you know, the manufacturer or the airline, you know, they, they just are trying to honest up assess what actually happened, what's the origin of the crash, et cetera. So that's the kind of situation in which, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court and that their law on this, the Beach Aircraft case was received into Colorado state law in this case. That's what they're looking at. They're looking at, you know, it's an unbiased report. And so therefore we can bring it in and it kind of gives a shortcut. But you can't do that here. The January 6th committee is the most biased, most heinously biased. You know, they're all pre-announced to, to uh, they all voted for the second impeachment. Right. And this whole insurrection theory had only one impeachment article in it, which was the same Section 3 of the 14th Amendment uh, insurrection clause that, you know, they're, they're using in this Colorado case. So the, it, it was all headed to a predetermined outcome of President Trump is terrible, evil, autocratic. Well, and uh, and know, and, and Jeff, yeah, and and Jeff, we're talking with Jeff Clark and Jeff. I'm going to take a break and come back and keep going because I want to go to a different area of uh, office. But we're talking about due process, and and it reminds me, and I, I'll do this to you, but then I got to take a break. It's which is mean, but I'm a radio host, is what I do. It reminds me when uh, the prosecutor Jack Smith uh, convened a grand jury in Washington D.C. and her testimony before the grand jury at great length, and then went down to Florida and had a had a, had someone read into the record the testimony before the grand jury in dc and then and then the judge the, the judge down there allowed it to be in i mean it, you're kind of like you're, you're not just shopping forum you're not just you're shopping sort of uh facts and credibilities but i have to take a break so hold on i'll take a break and come right back it's uh, ed martin here on the pro america report we'll be back in a moment
Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report, continuing the conversation uh, with uh, Jeff Clark. Jeff, I want to shift gears. I know we I, I cut us off to that, but I do want to shift gears because this is an important topic. And, I, and I'll keep it focused on um, Professor Eastman. I think that's easier because I know you have a, 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 a bar complaints against you and things that people have targeted you for your role serving as a lawyer. But perhaps if it's OK to talk about uh, 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 Professor Eastman, Dean Eastman in California, who's been through this extraordinary bar procedure. And my point in this is that the right to counsel, you're supposed to have a right to counsel. And what happens when the the bar or the community of lawyers, as well as others, decides to eliminate from the, the, the possibility, practically, people being lawyers for whole sets of folks, right? If, and let me say it as starkly as I can. If you had had um, uh, 1945, let's say 48, you had had a, a, seri- a, a bunch of uh, business people and media who said, we're going to start to malign this lawyer over here in this small town because he represents African-Americans. And, and we don't want them to have a good lawyers like that. I, I mean, it's this sort of messing with the ability of people to be lawyers. It's extraordinary. And it's out in the open now. Yes. So, Ed, there's a lot there. So let me <laughs> let me start. with the, Let me start with the history. OK. Yeah. So, you know, you went to kind of the uh, the civil rights era. That's a great uh, example of, you know, that you could weaponize government to try to stop uh, you know, uh, black uh, individuals from getting their full civil rights and being recognized really in practice as full citizens, right? Which is something that, you know, we struggled with, even though we had the Reconstruction Amendments after the Civil War, right? There was still a lot of discrimination, especially in the South, organized and and legalized uh, against uh, those individuals. And it took a lot of litigation and a lot of landmark uh, legislation like the Civil Rights Acts to turn that around. But obviously that took lawyers that took very good lawyers fighting very hard. And so if they had been weaponized against and disbarred uh, or just placed under clouds so they had to defend themselves rather than advancing the interests of those of those folks, that would have been terrible. We might not be in the same place of legal equality we are in the country at this point without those uh, courageous individuals and lawyers. Um, but this goes back, this is a, the, an issue, right? What's old is new again, that even goes back to the founding of the country. So uh, there's an individual, you know, John uh, Zanger, who's a German immigrant uh, to the uh, colonial U.S. And, right. uh, you know, colon- the, the colonies of England right before it's the U.S. And uh, he's a newspaper editor, and he starts criticizing the royal governor and they bring uh, charges against him. And his lawyer, uh, you know, New York City vigorously defends him. And he gets uh, he, that lawyer gets disbarred um, because, wow. you know, for God's sakes, he's fighting against the crown. He's he's disloyal. Huh. You wow. know? And um, so then new lawyers come in and they actually uh, uh, in the prosecution of John Peter Sanger. Uh, uh, Z-E-N-G-E-R, right. uh, they they get him acquitted and hmm. they basically get jury nullification, right? The charges are presented to the to the colonists as the jurors because at least that much due process was given. And they're like, no, we're not going to find this guy guilty, right? He's just, you know, uh, engaging in the historic uh, right of Englishmen to criticize the uh, to the government. So, and also that case, the, the John Peter Zanger case, right. it becomes 
you know, a fire that the founders, you know, drew a direct line to in uh, adopting the First Amendment uh, that protects Mm. free speech in the Bill of Rights. So this this whole issue of persecuting lawyers, you can draw a straight line from it historically to the adoption of one of our most important liberties, the First Amendment. Uh, we're, we're we're talking with uh, Jeff Clark and uh, about this, but Jeff, um, so we got more lawyers than we can and we know what to do with, right? Since the 1960s, we had um, law schools that began. Used to be, you know, you'd go to a school and study law and maybe be apprenticed. Or then there, there's a real, you know, cottage industry of law schools, law professors, bar exams, um, uh, ma- large bar associations at the state level. I think it used to be there was a bar association, a bar at each le- state level, but not like they are now. All this kinds of uh, bureaucracy around it. It feels like you know they want more and more people in there, except. If you're uh, Eastman, except if you're, uh, I don't know, conservative, is that the one or uh, unlikely to play by the rules? I Look, I had a period where when I was uh, uh, trying to get uh, uh, better judges on the bench, we seemed to be battling with the plaintiff's bar, right, that wanted friendly uh, judges who would be, you know, for larger jury verdicts or to expand things. You had the left who wanted judges like Ruth Bader Ginsburg or others who would come up with, you know, uh, rights in, in a living constitution. Um, somehow that th- those those seem quaint compared to the notion that uh, the ruling party, ruling class is going to eliminate. Uh, and by name, Project 65, they called it. This group started Project 65, targeting 65 lawyers. And here's my question, Jeff. Where's the bar like that guy, the justice on the California, Colorado Supreme Court who wrote the dissent, who said you guys just made it up. I'm sure he's he's only 59 years old or something. He's not going to be invited to all the the cool bar parties now. I mean, he took some courage yeah. because that's what. But where where's the where are the people that say I became a lawyer because I have this honor? I'm I'm John Adams. I'm going to represent the guys that killed the the, the Amer- uh, Americans or the, the, the citizens, the protesters at the at the Boston Massacre. And and Sam Adams is going to be mad at me, but we're going to stay friends because the system's got to have that. There's no one. There's not. There's no one protesting. I mean, Alan Dershowitz, yeah. and and only because he's got so much, I think, money and and is at the point in his career where he doesn't care. I, I think he's honest, but he's out there. That's it. Right. No, and it, it is sad. And you know, they basically the the sixty five project that you mentioned has decided. Uh, you know, by their own admission, when they, you know, gave an exclusive to Axios right. and announced the project, they said that they wanted to name and shame lawyers in their legal communities so that their names would become toxic. So you cannot have a vigorous republic where legal rights are uh, fought about um, in an adversary process, which is one of the key elements of our liberty, unless you have the lawyers to be the advocates. And so you can create a kind of uni-state, uniparty, a, uh, you know, w- only one way of looking at issues. And, you know, if you have advocates, they're fighting about things like money. But if you're talking about important civil rights, you know, maintaining the, the Bill of Rights, uh, you know, as it protects conservative Americans, right? You just have people who don't want to do that anymore because there's been this whole kind of uh, orthodoxy and and uh, unified way of thinking. And if you don't think like that, they're going to try to take your bar license away. So you mentioned, uh, you know, Professor, uh, former Dean uh, John Eastman, and the process they've been putting him through in California is uh, ridiculous, right? Like they basically would bring in these people who are not experts. They're not, you know, 
worthy to carry Professor Eastman's, uh, you know, briefcase, sandals, briefcase. Yeah. 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 Right. They, yeah. And they, they, they're saying like, well, you know, it's fully clear that there was nothing wrong with the election and they would even introduce, you know, new studies that they had ginned up. I'm, I'm air quoting studies too, right. that there was nothing wrong with the election, right. That happened afterwards. But if John Eastman tries to introduce evidence to show that new evidence has come out that confirmed his suspicions about the election uh, and the positions he took about the election at the time, they say, well, that's irrelevant because you didn't know about it at the time. So that's a total double standard, another violation of due process. And it just shows that the only reason why the judges are, are, are doing these things is they've even they've drunk the Kool-Aid like they think that there's only one way to look at this. And so even when they're processing an objection, they don't see it as a double standard because they see it as the only way to view what they think of as objective truth. And our history, you know, the the good judges, right, they recognize that, well, I may see something some way. I may tend to agree more with one advocate than another. But especially if if, uh, there's going to be a cold record created or you're in front of a jury, right? Right. You let the other side defend itself and put in their best arguments. And maybe that will change your mind. Or maybe the evidence that comes into the record will change the mind of a a set of appellate judges in the future so that they reverse what you do. Exactly. Yeah. You accept that humbly. Yeah. Well, exactly. And that's, again, the part of this uh, when we talk about due process. I mean, that, that there's there, the, the it is it's the process. It's a, a process that's supposed to be, especially um, when, as I say, you're taking away someone's life or liberty or their or their rights or their duties. And, and in, in a democracy, voting on the candidate you want uh, to vote on without, uh, again, four guys on the or guys and gals on the Colorado Supreme Court deciding um, what you get to look at. It. Uh, it's wild. Anyway. All right, Jeff, I'm out of time. Jeff Clark, uh, a, a, a very uh, accomplished attorney himself in both private practice as well as uh, in uh, government, worked on the George W. Bush administration, the Trump administration, maybe if God wills it in the next administration, uh, we shall see. Uh, But we've got to take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now, continuing that legacy, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. A British tabloid carried a grim headline announcing America's fertility crash over an article detailing the precipitous drop in U.S. birth rates during the last 15 years. The decline was greatest in Utah, whose birth rate fell by more than a third, despite the beehive state's reputation for large families. Ignoring such a dire long-term trend that harms the health and happiness of the American people, our media have spent most of 2023 promoting entertainment aimed at single young women, starting with Barbie. That blockbuster movie featured an unmarried woman without children with merely a cameo appearance by one pregnant character who's portrayed as an outcast. The Barbie phenomenon is joined by the female pop star Taylor Swift, whose record setting concert tour caused an unprecedented meltdown at Ticketmaster. Now the film version has broken the box office record for a concert movie, drawing mostly young women to theaters where they dance on chairs and sing off-key rather than merely watching. Taylor Swift, 
herself childless and nearly 34 years old, was asked when she turned 30 whether she wants to have children. She curtly replied, I don't really think men are asked that question when they turn 30, so I'm not going to answer that now. For the most part, Swifties have not been attending these concerts on dates with young men. An estimated 90% of these concert fans are women, an imbalance so severe that it has caused havoc with the availability of restrooms at performance venues. The messaging from the media couldn't be any clearer. They're telling our young women that the path to happiness requires childlessness. This message isn't new, by the way. Phyllis Schlafly was exposing these false promises all the way back when Betty Friedan was calling the home a comfortable concentration camp back in the 1960s. However, the new packaging on the same old lie shouldn't be ignored today. We must help our daughters to see that for the vast majority of women, true and lasting fulfillment will be found in marriage and in motherhood. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Our mission, clearly stated at phyllisschlafly.com, is to enable and mobilize grassroots activism on behalf of cherished conservative values. You're encouraged today to go online and read the goals we support and those we oppose. Then join us. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and come back next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height filling in here again today for Mr. Ed Martin. And I wanted to come back uh, and wrap up the show. Uh, we had a couple of great guests, been marching through our best of uh, some of the guests for this year, some great topics, and also was glad to be here for the wink today, what you need to know. You should go back and listen to that one uh, at ProAmericaReport.com and PhyllisLaffley.com. There you can go and sign up, get all the podcasts, standalone segments, links, resources. But it's New Year's. Uh, you go and do those things and uh, get on the Wink email list at phyllislafley.com. You won't regret it. That'll be a good 2024. But what do we do at New Year's? We just had a good Christmas. Christmas is a good thing. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. Uh, and I decided as we're thinking about uh, old year into the new year, and we always do this dance with resolutions, don't we? And then the gyms are full of everyone for several uh, weeks, uh, at least a few weeks, while people uh, get ready to be different in the new year. Guess what? Uh, it doesn't always stick. So, I'd like to do a little exercise. It's a good thing. I like to keep it simple. And I brought some special guests with me. It's no secret that we are uh, all kind of uh, working uh, sporadically here from home. You may have picked that up uh, from the home studio. So I've got some uh, home guests in my home studio. Uh, my kids are here. And uh, I wanted to do a little exercise and see. Maybe let's make this simple. Uh, and why don't you join us with uh, why don't you join with us, dear Pro-America Report family and listeners? Uh, let's make this simple for next year. Uh, instead of burdening ourselves down with big, hard things to do and new goals that we're going to make that we're not going to be able to follow through with, what if we all picked one thing? Uh, what is one thing? And here's my exercise. What is one thing that we did in 2023 this past year that we could have done better or that we'd like to do better next year? That's kind of something I'd like to think about. I think that's simple, don't you? And I've got some helpers here with me. So we can go in order. You want to say hi, Jack? Hi. Jack, this is... A radio show, right? <laughs> You've heard enough of this over the years, haven't you, from producing this? Are you excited about being on and saying something? Yes. How old are you? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Almost, almost nine. We're getting there. Well, I was going to ask you, what is one thing that you think of from this past year that you would like to do better at next year? Riding my bicycle and doing tricks. 
Oh, riding your bicycle and doing tricks. Well, you've gotten very good at those things this year, so I have a feeling you could make that happen. Uh, next up in line, who are you? Teddy and I'm five. Teddy and you're five? You're a good middle kid, aren't you? Yeah, and you've listened to this not as much as your older brother has, but you've still heard some, haven't you? Well, what do you think? What's one thing that this from this past year you can think of that you would like to do better at next year than you even did this year? Doing doing new tricks on my scooter new tricks on your scooter there you go you're not looking forward to anything else really big are you no No. is is turning six going to be exciting yes yes maybe yes maybe and then last but not least hi who are you will will do you know how old you are two and a half two and a half you're almost what five five you're almost three aren't you is there something that you want to try to do better at or try harder at for next year, Will? Um, I like doing tricks on my scooter. Tricks on my scooter. And as you can tell, we all like being just like our big brothers, don't we? Uh, well, there you go. There are, um, from the simple to the big, uh, lots of things that we can do. And I hope that you join with us. This is just a fun little picture as we're closing out the show today here. I'm doing this at, from home uh, with my family. I greatly hope that this New Year's you are surrounded by your friends and family. But as we think about it, We make such big and grandiose resolutions. Um, We try to make these big predictions. Being better tomorrow than we were today. Treating other people better tomorrow than we treated them today. Doing something personally better tomorrow than we did today. Uh, These are easy, one step at a time. And so often we make it too complicated. And I think that um, even as we have... An opportunity here in America. We see all the news headlines, Donald Trump and Joe Biden and all the people running for president and all the people running for Congress and the news speaker of the House and all the things on TV. Uh, As we see all of this, let's keep it simple. What is one thing uh, that we thought of or didn't do or did last year that we want to do better or do for the first time uh, or any of those things. It's time, I think. Let's let 2024 be the year of marching forward on goals, whether it's big or small. Let's make that happen. You want to help me make that happen? Small steps, baby steps, one at a time, just like our little boys here want to do one thing better and it's an attainable goal and they're going to work on it rather than make big giant goals as a nation, as citizens of that nation, uh, as individuals. Let's make some goals we can stick to and let's stick to them. Um, Let's make it uh, a step forward in the right direction. I think America could use a lot more uh, good, solid, small, single steps forward uh, than we could use more grandiose, big talking, huh? You and me both in our personal lives, I'm sure, uh, and my family here, and then uh, as well as all the way up to the halls of Congress. So let's make that so. Let's make this the the year of not just resolutions, but the year of small, sure steps forward. All right? So... Get a little bit more educated. Find out your local elections, what's happening. Write some stuff down. Take a notepad with you. Maybe ask some friends, hey, have you thought about this or that or the other? What are you thinking about this? Start the conversation. You don't have to have the answers, and you don't have to have uh, the next 12 months plotted out in the gym. You just need to take the right next step better tomorrow than you did today. We need to take the right next steps better next year uh, than we did this year even. And it is time to march forward with some great renewal and action. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for being with me on this uh, New Year's message. Uh, and thank you for being with our 
pro-America report family throughout this holiday season. Again, I wish... I hope that you all had a wonderful, happy, and a Merry Christmas. And may I wish you a Happy New Year from our Pro-America Report family to you, from my family to you. Let's make it a good one of sure small steps forward for America. Thank you to Ed for leading this program. Thank you to Mason, my co-producer, for helping me keep all the trains on the tracks and on time. And we will look forward to talking to you tomorrow on another edition here of the Pro-America Report. God bless everyone. We'll talk to you then. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.